Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Summer Family Bible Conference. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. One of the reasons we brought Wendell on was to teach history because he's been around so long. <laughs> but then we found out that when he was a kid, they didn't have history yet. So. I knew it was too good to be true. I thought he was really going to be nice and, and leave it at that. I probably need to tell the rest of the story, though, about uh, Andrews often said it was kind of a miracle that he invited me to come and be a part of the school and never heard me teach. I said there was a greater miracle than that. I had already heard Andrew, and I came anyway. So. <laughs> Hallelujah. A lot of love in this room. Well, praise God. It's a, a joy to be with you. And uh, boy, it's exciting this week. Good things are happening. And I want to take, uh, before I do anything else, introduce my wife, Linda. And uh, this September, we'll be celebrating 51 years of, of marriage. Which is a real miracle because neither one of us are that old, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet, but uh, what a blessing she's been. And, uh, you know, it, Pastor Bob Nichols always says it takes a better woman of God to live with a man of God, and that's absolutely true, what they have to put up with. And uh, she's just stuck with me, and if I thought God said to do something, she's just encouraged me and said, let's go for it. Matter of fact, uh, she's more willing to... Uh, believe that I hear from God than the other way around because a number of years ago the Lord spoke to her and said we were going to the nations and I had no desire to go. So I just didn't pay a lot of attention. And then we started getting, everywhere we went, we were getting a word, you're going to the nations. And every time we'd hear it, I'd get an elbow. <laughs> and uh, guess what? The last few years, that's what we've been doing. So. Uh, Gentlemen, you ought to listen to your wives. They do hear from God, probably more than you do. So, praise God and lend us a blessing and a great teacher in her own right and just a blessing to a lot of people around the world. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, after Greg got through ministering, uh, I was walking through the auditorium and people were coming up and telling me how great my message was. So the uh, first couple of people, I, I tried to explain it wasn't me, it was Greg. But after they kept coming, I just said, well, thank you. It was a great message. I figured he pinched it off of me anyway, so I might as well take credit for it. So uh, thank you for all the compliments on my message yesterday on not taking up an offense. So, uh, but you could tell the difference between uh, Greg and I, I'm, I'm the one with all the big wavy hair. He's the one that's thinning a little on top. So, And uh, we've got different shirts on. So that was Greg. This is Wendell. Okay. No competition, no jealousy, none of that. Hallelujah. Well, it's been a great conference. And uh, 
I tell you, the messages have been spot on. And uh, just the praise and worship, just uh, we could just go on and on with that. Uh, just, uh, I tell you, there's something about what happens when you begin to praise the Lord that just uh, uh, can't be explained, just has to be experienced. So, with that said, I want to mention one other thing, and then I'm going to get into what I want to share this morning. We do have a, uh, a part of the ministry here called Karis Bible College World Outreach. And uh, a lot of you, we made mention of our extension school directors. Uh, they've all come in for a director's meeting. We've got 40 schools around the world. And World Outreach is the part of Andrew's ministry that actually establishes the schools and uh, kind of oversees them and, and uh, helps in many different ways financially and, and other ways. And so a lot of people don't realize that World Outreach has its own mailing list, has its own partnership. And uh, we use those funds to, to uh, help establish schools and keep the schools going. So if you're not a partner with World Outreach, we'd encourage you to go down to the table. It's down in the area with all the other product and what have you. And uh, at least pick up a bro brochure and see what we're doing around the world. Let me tell you, uh, Karis Bible Colleges around the world are just affecting lives by the thousands. And in turn, those lives are affecting more. And so it's, it's a great thing to invest in. It's, uh, it's just awesome what God is doing. The lives are to be transformed. And so uh, drop by the World Outreach table and, and uh, at least get some information about it and uh, join with us. And uh, you know, uh, more partners catch more fish. And so we just uh, encourage you to, to join up with us and uh, reach the world for Jesus, amen. All right, I'm going to uh, share this morning. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody's aware of it. I've had several conversations this week, but uh, we live in a day that seems to be uh, more intense than perhaps any other time in history. Uh, you don't really have to uh, go out of your way to hear of all the things that are happening around the world and in our own country. And we can see uh, trouble on every hand uh, in the Middle East and, and everywhere, things are, are stirring up. But it goes beyond just the nations of the world, and, but it comes down to individuals. And uh, look at all that's going on, and, and probably some of you are having that experience that things are, are happening in your life that uh, you never expected to happen, and, and they're, they're coming in uh, frequently. And a lot of times it can get real discouraging when those things begin to come. But we, we just need to understand that storm winds are blowing. And uh, storm winds are destructive. You know, I just uh, heard the weather forecast. I think there's some storms down on the East Coast, maybe starting with Florida, moving up. And we know that in the natural, when a storm comes, that uh, destruction comes with it. But you know, there are spiritual storms that come, and they're also destructive. And what that, in, that uh, gives us a clue as to the source. If, if storms are destructive, then we know who's behind the storms. Because the, uh, the Bible teaches us, Jesus made it real clear in John 10, 10, that the thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so when those storm winds begin to blow and the destruction begins to happen, we know uh, the source. And so we don't have to guess and, and wonder about what's happening. We know that uh, the enemy just doesn't like us. 
and he's on a mission, and all his cohorts are working with him. And uh, we need to understand that when those attacks come, there's one thing that he's after. Now, it may come in many different forms, but the thing that he is after, his goal, what he wants to accomplish in your life, is not necessarily the particular area of attack. I mean, he may attack your body, he may attack your finances, he may attack your family, whatever the circumstances is, but what he's after, his goal is to get you to begin to question the Word of God. That's his ultimate. It started in the garden and he hasn't ceased uh, his attack on trying to get us to begin to doubt and to question and, and to, just to just look at everything and say, it, how, does God's Word really provide anything for us? Or He's challenging our trust and our confidence in the Word of God. He's after your faith. And, and it, it, it prevails. Like I say, it started in the garden. It continued through all of Scripture. It's happening today, and that's what He's after. And that's what you need to remember. That it doesn't make any difference which area He's attacking in. His ultimate goal is to get you to begin to doubt and to question the Word of God. And the reason he's after that is because, number one, he knows that if he can get your faith, then it's impossible for you to please God. That's what the Bible tells us. Without faith, it is impossible to to please God because you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he doesn't want you to please God. He wants you to begin to question God and to doubt God and to doubt his word. And then secondly, he knows if he can get your faith... If he could take that away from you, then you have no way to resist him. Because the scripture says we're to resist the devil steadfastly in faith. And so his ultimate goal is is to come against you and to get you to begin to doubt and to question the word of God. Now, I I know I'm in the right place because as Andrew said, uh, the Lord didn't put this on my heart to share with those people who didn't show up. And so all of us, you know, there's a time in our life that we've just, we've got to uh, come to grips with ourselves and get out of la-la land and realize that there are times that things happen in our life that we do have the temptation to begin to question the Word of God. But it's not just us. It, it happened throughout Scripture. The, the men and women of the Scriptures, uh, they did this. Now, once again, he's after your faith. Uh, watch this in, in, in Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to stay here long. I just want to set this scene for you. In Mark chapter 4, this is the, the story where, where Jesus is saying, we want to go over to the other side. And he asked them to get on a ship with them and make this journey. Now, they had a word from God because God said, let's go to the other side. Are you listening to me? They had a word from God of where they were going. They were going to the other side. And so what, what happened is, as, they, uh, as they went across, it says in verse 37 of Mark chapter 4, it says that there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they wake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now watch this. He had just said his word, God's word, is we're going to the other side. That's a sure word from God. So the first thing that happened, here's his word. Then the storm comes in verse 37. And then in verse 38, they begin to question, don't you care that we're perishing? So you see the process. Now, I'm I'm sure 
that he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't mind being able to wipe them out, wipe out their lives. But you know what? If he'd have killed everybody on that ship, uh, they'd have still won because they'd instantly been in heaven. That's not a bad deal. Some of you haven't figured it out, but heaven's going to be a pretty nice place. Amen. If you don't be nice, I won't let you visit my mansion. So you better, <laughs> better get with me here this morning. I'm taking notes. So his word was given, the storm came to challenge it, and they began to question his word. And look at verse 40, and it says, and he said to them, why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So the enemy had accomplished what he wanted to accomplish by bringing the storm, and was to get them to begin to doubt and to question the word of God. And as a result, Jesus addressed them, and he didn't you know, when they woke him up, he didn't get up and pat him on the head and said, guys, it, it looks rough out here. It looks like we may not make it. Matter of fact, we better, uh, we better prepare to swim. No, he just rebuked them and said, why is it that you have no faith? And, and how many times do you think that if we were in his presence and we respond to some of the things that come into our life, how many of you think we might get the same response? And see, the whole thing revolves around our confidence and trust in God's Word. Now, we're, we're living in a day that Satan is out to do what he can to destroy, but the first thing he wants to do is to get your faith. And so, we realize, turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, the very first chapter. And in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, Paul is uh, writing here to young Timothy. And in verse 18, he makes this statement. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So what we're seeing here is that we realize and we recognize, we're aware of the fact that there are many people, including ministers of the gospel, that are wiping out. They're taking up offenses, as Greg was talking about yesterday. They're giving in to sin. They're giving in to their evil desires. They're harboring anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, discouraged, quitting jobs, quitting marriages, quitting church relationships. We see it all around us. It's happening. And, and we don't need to be like ostriches and, and hide our heads in the sand. We need to face up to the fact that it's happening. And we need to do something about it when it is happening. And so here Paul, a seasoned apostle, is, is writing to this young pastor by the name of Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's charging him to war a good warfare. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have that charge if there wasn't a warfare going on. But Paul also revealed to us that our war and our, our wrestling is not with flesh and blood. And so we know as spiritual forces that are coming out that the author of that is sending out his armies to come against the believer. And yes, to, to destroy them, but to steal their faith mainly. 
And so he instructs him to remember the prophecies and the directions that the Lord had given him for his life. And this is so important for us to remember, is that we we need to always remember what God told us last. Because that's what we're going to have to hold on to when, when the storm winds begin to blow. What has God told you to do? At the end of the day, that's what's important. What did God tell you to do? And, and, you know, we don't, in the midst of the storm, begin to question, did God say this? Because that's where he begins to get you on the downside. That's what he did with, with Adam and Eve when he came, hath God said. It, it, it's a plan. It's a plan from the beginning. And so here we see uh, both First and Second Timothy are filled with warnings and instructions and guidelines of how to deal with with troubled people and troubled times and, and troubled leadership in the church. But he mentions here in verse 19, two areas that Paul said, if you let go, you can shipwreck like the others, but if you hold on to them, you would survive. And he's, he talks about holding on to faith. And once again, that just goes back to what we've said uh, here in the introduction, that the faith is your trust and confidence in God is what the devil is after. And, and he, he'll challenge you on it. And, and Paul says, hold on to your faith. Uh, in, in this particular verse, it, it means that trust in God, but it involves everything that has to do with Christianity. It's our whole belief system. It's what we do as we have a relationship with the Lord. It involves it all. You know, there's a lot of people that just uh, somehow have the idea they, they, they think they can serve God any way they want to. No, God has a plan and a, and a way that he wants to relate to us and us to relate to him. And, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's just there's no variations, exemptions, or partialities. You can't stop doing what is described by God as being right and think you can please him. There's a place, whether we like it or not, that obedience comes into this. The scripture says to obey is better than sacrifice. And so you can't just go out and do your own thing and and uh, fulfill what God has called you to do. You know, when it's put away, when, when, when your faith is put away, and I'm talking about the whole system of your belief system, uh, when you set it aside or cover it up or hide it in the background, according to Paul, you've chosen to shipwreck. No one can take your faith from you, not even the devil, but you can choose to put it aside. And I'm talking about the, the things that are just so commonplace in our relationship with the Lord. You know, he gave us a book here that, that sets the guidelines of, of what he expects. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with God's love and forgiveness. Has nothing to do with whether he loves you or doesn't love you. He loves you, period. But there are certain things that he's laid out for us in this book that says, now, if you follow these instructions, you're going to have the life that I've designed for you to have, and it's called the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And, you know, uh, Arthur talked about that Zoe, that little word Zoe, life as God lives it. And God wanted us to live life like he lives it. And live it in abundance is, is what he's talking about. And he loves you the same. We, you know, back when I was pastoring, we had a fellow in our church that worked for American Airlines and he was called a check pilot which meant that he would uh, just randomly go and get on a plane with the, with the crew. And he would uh, kind of test, he'd observe how that pilot 
uh, flew that plane and then kind of grade him. Now, the, uh, he, he checked how that was happening to see if they knew what they were doing. But listen to me, those pilots can't make that plane fly. You know, sometimes we, we don't realize that, but you know, the manufacturer made it so it'd fly, but the pilot has to do the proper things to keep it up there. Now God says to you and I, I've created you to fly, but you gotta follow the instructions on how to stay up there. And it's right here, it's, it's the Word of God. And of course, this is the, uh, you know, that's what I love about Karis Bible College. This is our textbook. This is what we, we, we teach from. This is what we share from because, I mean, you know, this is the Word of Life. Uh, I, we, we love to read other people's books and, and all of those things, but don't ever get so carried away with what other people are saying that you forget to see what God is saying. And so he's telling us here to hold on to these things that the Word teaches us we should hold on to. And then he says, hold on to a good conscience. Now, how do you define that? And, and basically, I've just defined it, and it may not be accurate, but it, it, it's an awareness man has of himself in relationship to God. And you know what? A good conscience will keep us with a proper attitude. A good conscience will keep us grounded in the faith. Uh, a good conscience will beat off condemnation and guilt. A good conscience will help us lead, it'll lead us out of evil and keeps us doing good. A good conscience keeps us aware of God's presence always. Amen. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I probably wasn't a, a model child. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Had a, had a good family and loved my mom and dad. They loved me, never was any doubt about it. But there were times that uh, if they weren't around, I might do something that uh, wouldn't have been pleasing to them, but every time I did it, I knew it wouldn't be pleasing to them. What was that that uh, kept reminding me of how I should conduct myself, whether I was with them or not with them? It was my conscience. And how many of you know, we know, and yet a lot of people forget, God knows what's going on wherever you are and whatever you're doing. You don't have any secrets from God. I, I'm amazed at how many times in Scripture we read of people and, and they're, they're saying one thing and, and the Bible then says, and God heard them. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> but you know, so some, some many Christians are, are not conscious of the fact that, that God never leaves them. He's always there. We're always in His presence. But I think this would be, you know, I don't know how you would classify it, but this has to be one of the most important revelations that the church needs to get. I'm telling you, it'd change your life if you were conscious of the fact that whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whatever you think, God knows it. I remember when I was pastor to how, how interesting it was to, to, to watch people who were more conscious of other people than they were conscious of God's presence. And I, I can remember a lot of times we'd, uh, you know, go to visit someone and we'd go up on the door, man, the rock and roll was rocking and a rolling. And, and then you'd ring the doorbell and you'd see him peek out the blind and the next thing you heard was amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Probably all of you have heard me tell the story, but I'm going to tell it again because I want to hear it myself. Uh, I, had this, I, I had this big plate glass window in my 
office there in the church I pastored, and it was mirror glass. Uh, we had a lot of that on our church because we found it at a bargain price, and it really looked nice. But that meant that I could see out, but they couldn't see in. All they could do was see the mirror. And so I'd sit there on Sunday morning and watch people drive up. And, I, and it was so entertaining because I'd see a family drive up and they'd park and all of a sudden the husband would get out and slam the door on that side and the wife would get out on that and slam the door on that side and they'd grab the kids and, and they're <laughs> But the moment, the very instant they set foot in the church, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you're guilty. More conscious of people than we are the presence of God. And this is what Paul was talking about. If you, if you don't keep your conscience pure and keep it aware of God's presence, you could become shipwrecked. Because you start going places and doing things and you'll think, well, God doesn't know this. Nobody can see me. When I'm out of town, nobody knows who I am and so I can do. Need to guard yourself according to what Scripture says. Paul says you need to keep that good conscience, keep that faith. And those who have put them aside have shipwrecked their faith. And you know what? Guard your conscience. Keep it tender before the Lord. Now, I want to go, go over to Acts chapter 27. It's, uh, this scripture has been ministering to me for a, a number of weeks now. Uh, we were just in, in England for the Grace and Faith Conference, a great conference there. And, and uh, the Lord brought me to this Acts 27. And it, it's talking about storms. This is a literal storm that the apostle was in. Now, before we even look at this, I want to I share this with you. When those storms of life come, we need to have the wisdom, and you get the wisdom by asking God for it, how do we deal with this particular storm? You know, it's so easy in our charismatic Pentecostal, full gospel, spirit feel, New Testament, whatever we are, group of people, to find an account in Scripture that, that blesses us when we read it, and then we think we can just uh, do it every time it happens. In other words, uh, we see that in Mark 4 a while ago in the storm that Jesus and the disciples were in, that Jesus stepped out on, on the ship and rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves and they calmed down and the storm was over. I've got an idea and I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty confident that Paul was aware of that. Talking about Paul the Apostle, Amen. not Paul the Milligan. I think Paul was aware of the authority that a believer had. Amen. How many of you would agree? Because uh, probably more than anybody else in Scripture, Paul writes about the authority of the believer and what the, the believer can do. Amen. So why is it here in Acts chapter 27 that Paul didn't exercise that authority and rebuke that storm? That's a question. But we need to realize that we don't deal with, with every storm the same way. One of the faults and weaknesses of the body of Christ is that we'd rather depend on principles and formulas and steps one, two, and three than hearing God. 
See, we sometimes, we see these things and we see how Jesus took that authority and, and, and calmed that storm and the waves. And we think, well, that's what we do. Every time a storm comes, we're just going to rebuke it. How many of you have ever rebuked one and, and the winds just got stronger? <laughs> Two people. I just got through telling you, God knows what you're thinking. <laughs> and you got the nerve to sit out there and say you never did that. <laughs> we need to have the wisdom. How do we deal with this particular storm? How do we, is it one that we just endure? Is it one we rebuke? I mean, there's many ways to deal with it as we search scriptures. But here in this particular Acts chapter 27 storm, uh, Paul was hearing from God every day. He, God was speaking to him and telling him what to do. Now I'm going to take a little liberty with the scripture and, and, uh, and I want to take, lift one verse out of here and I want to feed off of it. And it's here in the middle of the story, Acts chapter 27. This is the whole story of the storm that Paul was in. And here in verse number 29, and this is, this, I'm just going to jump in here. And like I say, take a little liberty here. But just follow with me. Verse 29 says, Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. So what I've been talking about this morning is the storms of life that come against us, what we need to do to avoid shipwreck. And I'm going to take this verse of Scripture and I'm going to talk about four anchors that you can toss out in any storm and be held steady. Is that all right? Well, it's all right because I'm going to do it anyway. So, my service. So, four anchors that will, will keep you from falling upon the rocks when the storms of life are blowing. And you know, this is going to be so simple. And yet it'll be profound. It works. It's the Word of God and, and it will keep you safe in the midst of a storm. And the first one, and I think you know it, and, and you know the song that Daniel and the team always sing, Christ alone. That's the first anchor. We've got to be anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the anchor that will keep you safe. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you some scriptures here. Over in Ephesians, uh, the third chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, and, and we read these words beginning in verse 16. And this is a prayer of Paul's, a Holy Ghost-inspired prayer. And he's praying, and he says that, uh, uh, jumping in the middle of it, talking about he's, he's praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to talk about those being rooted and grounded in love. It, that's being anchored. That's securing yourself. And it talks about that if we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sustain us when the storms of life begin to blow. Then right on over to Colossians chapter 2. And here the scripture says, beginning with 
verse number six, Colossians two, verse six, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, how did you receive him? You received him by faith. And so you are to walk in faith in him. Verse seven, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now look at this, rooted and built up in him. Once again, that anchor, that security that we have in Jesus. This is the first anchor, keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know, account, and we won't take the time to, most of you are familiar with it anyway, but you remember in, in Matthew 14, it's recorded in the other gospels, but in Matthew 14, it talks about the disciples once again being in a storm. It's amazing to me how many times we read Scripture and find the people of God in storms. It's still happening. We're still facing those storms. They may not be the little ones in the boats on the water, but storms are blowing. And so here the disciples are in another storm and and the winds are blowing and the waves are high and and then all of a sudden they, they see a figure coming toward the boat walking on the water. And they're a little fearful at first when they see it, but then they begin to call out and, and, and recognize that it's Jesus. And Peter made a statement. He says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Well, what was Jesus supposed to do? It's not me. You know, Peter kind of put him in a box uh, if he denied himself. And so what, what did Jesus say to Peter? Come. Pretty simple. And we all know the story that Peter stepped off of the boat in the midst of this storm. And, and you know, there's no evidence that Jesus was walking on smooth water. I don't know about you, uh, if you've tried it or not, but uh, it's no easier to walk on smooth water than it is rough water. But anyhow, the point being, they're in a storm, Jesus comes, Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water and he's walking on the water until he takes his eyes off Jesus. See, that's what I'm talking about. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, be anchored in him in the midst of this storm. We've got to to stay focused on him. And Isaiah talks about he'll keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Jesus has to be the central thing in our life every day, all the time. That's who we need to look to. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about running our race and, and laying aside the sin and the weight that doth so easy beset us and, and run this race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And you know, too many times we're busy looking at other things and other people. He didn't say, look unto the pastor, look unto the apostle, look unto the Sunday school director, look unto your wife, look unto your husband, look unto your job. No, he said, looking unto Jesus. It it needs to be all about him. That's our anchor that'll keep you safe in the midst of a storm. He'll keep you safe till the storm passes by. Anchor yourself in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Second anchor, and and we could go much further with that, but for the sake of time, you can do a little homework. How many scriptures talk about being rooted and grounded and established and, 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 and keeping your eyes on Jesus? That's the first anchor you cast out in the midst of a storm. Secondly, and this one is, is, is being neglected, I think, to a great degree. 
The second anchor you can throw out is prayer. Be anchored in prayer. I'm telling you, now this is not what the church has so often uh, communicated prayer to be. I'm talking about what prayer really is. It's communication with God. It's conversation with God. It's a time to speak, but it's a time to listen. Now, we're just reading a few scriptures here because I'm talking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Look at how prayer worked in his life. How many, how many times we read this same statement, like in Mark chapter 1 and, and verse 35. Listen to this. This is Jesus. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, let me tell you, we read instances of how Jesus went out and spent the entire night in prayer. Folks, I I, I didn't listen to all those prayers, but I got an idea that Jesus didn't spend all night saying, God, I need this, I need that. Would you do this? Would you do that? Could you take care of this? You need to take care of that. Many of you know that's not what Jesus was doing. And yet so much of the prayer life in the body of Christ is, Lord, do something. Give me something. Uh, And and too often, it's a very one-sided conversation. Some of you are old enough to remember Back when there was a real fad that went through the body of Christ called early morning prayer. I'm still trying to figure out why five o'clock is the magical hour. And it, it had to be an hour. Had to be an hour. But you know, in that hour of power, as it was called, we did all the talking. I mean, we'd start off and, and we'd use the Lord's Prayer as a model and we'd start off and, and we'd be praising God, telling Him how wonderful He is, how awesome He is, which is a good thing. But the next thing you know, we'd be telling Him what He needed to do next. I mean, I mean we'd, we'd work it up and for an hour we'd be telling God what He should be doing. And when the hour was up and we all watched the clock. 58, only two minutes to go. We can do it, Jesus. 60 seconds. <laughs> We're going to make it again. Hallelujah. Time's up. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now out you go. I mean, you know that one prayer? Prayer is communicating with the Lord. It's a, it's a time of communion, but it's a time that sometimes you just shut up and listen. This is what Jesus was doing as he went out to pray. He was getting instructions from the Father. And this is why he could go out and as he ministered, he he knew what God had told him to do and and he made the statement. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. Well, I think most of the time he was seeing and hearing in those times of prayer that he separated himself and went out in that solitary place and communicated with the Lord. It just continues, Mark chapter 6. We could go through here. We could use dozens of verses, but here, just a few. Here in in, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse number uh, 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Luke chapter 5. We just 
And go through here. What I'm, what I'm showing you, if, if prayer was so vital to the Lord Jesus Christ, who do we think we are that we don't need to pray? Here in Luke, he, he withdrew himself, verse 16, Luke 5, 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prayed. Uh, chapter 6 of Luke and, and verse number 12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Well, as you know, Jesus said it was vital that we have that communication with the Heavenly Father through what we call prayer, but communion with God, conversation with God, listening to God. It's so important that we set aside that time. And the church of today, sad to say, they, they've got the form of prayers and we, we have them, you know, we've got to have them as we start the service and we've got to have them over the offering and we've got to have them. But he's talking about developing a lifestyle of prayer. And once again, it's not just asking or telling God what he should be doing or what he shouldn't be doing. It's listening. And Jesus went into the temple, you remember the occasion, and he turned the tables over and he rebuked them and he said, you know, God intended this to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Folks, God's calling us back once again to spend time with him and listen to him and get instructions from him and spend time communing with him, getting to know him. I tell you, marriage wouldn't be very good if all you ever did to your mate was ask him to do something or ask them to give you something and there was no other conversation. And yet so many Christians, the only time they speak to God is when they're telling him what he needs to be doing or asking him to give them something. We've got to get back and see how important prayer is, how important it was to, to Jesus. And, and he instructed us that, man, how many scriptures did Jesus tell us to pray? Here, how about this one, Luke chapter 18, verse one. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always to pray and not to faint. And, and we could go on and see how many times Scripture talks about that we are to pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Well, how I many of you know that's not talking about that you've got to be in a certain place down on your knees with your head bowed? Yeah, that's not what it's talking you could. You wouldn't get anything done if all you did was stay on your, on your knees with your head bowed. He's talking about staying in communion with God fellowshipping with God, ministering uh, to the Lord. And then here's the thing, when you pray, <laughs> we can pray in confidence. Jeremiah talks about uh, call upon the name of the Lord and he will answer and he'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. But the good part about that says when you call, he'll answer. When I pastored, I used to say, now that's God's deal, that's not mine. Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you call on God, he'll always answer. If you called on me, I might not answer. Matter of fact, we had an unlisted number. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at this at 1 John. It's talking about praying, but we can pray with confidence. Over here in 1 John chapter 5, look at this at verse 15 and 16. And this is the confidence, verse 14. 1 John 5, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. That's the confidence. Now, here's another thing we need to look at. How does God see our prayers? In other words, Jesus prayed. It was important to him. He instructed us to pray. We can be confident when we pray. But how does God view our prayers? Look at this from Revelation chapter 5 at verse number 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them of harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, Revelation 8, verses uh, 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. I want you to know, God treasures your time of communing with him. He honors your prayers. He recognizes them as special. They're a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God when you take time to visit with God. So number one, be anchored in Jesus. Number two, be anchored in prayer. Number three, and this should go without saying, but be anchored in the word of God. It is our sure foundation. And, uh, it, you know, it's a sure foundation. It lasts forever. It will prevail. Now, I'm going to rush through this because we've had so much about the Word of God, and we'll continue to talk about the Word of God. But you've got to have the Word of God. That is your foundation. This is your security. So, number one, be anchored in Jesus. Number two, be anchored in prayer. Number three, be anchored in the Word of God. And number four, and I didn't know exactly how to uh, uh, phrase this one, but this is the one that I'll conclude with. Uh, I, I guess it's just be consistent. Don't quit. Steadfast, that's a good word. I'll take any of them. But this is what, what the Bible is talking about is that if you're going to stay uh, secure in these storms of life, you just can't quit. Look at this in, in, in the book of Hebrews. And I'll hurry up and, and get through here. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, look at this beginning in verse number 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And then, oh, this is such a precious one. I'm going to have to give it to you before I, I conclude here. Psalm chapter 62. It's just one of those little nuggets that, that are tucked in there that just say so much. Psalm 62, verses 5 and 6. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Hallelujah. So anchor yourself in that steadfastness, that confidence. And then Isaiah talks about setting your face like flint. I want you to know whatever storm comes your way. If you're anchored in Jesus, if you're anchored in prayer, if you're anchored in the word of God and you just don't quit, you win. Amen. Thank you. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. 
It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.